Have you seen uh, Ex Machina? No. Ooh, okay. Interesting. Have you, I anticipate liking it. You've seen Annihilation? We've talked about I how love, Annihilation is great. I, Annihilation made my 10 best movies of the decade. <laughs> that, that, that's right. We did, we did talk about it. <laughs> At length, on air. Hello, and welcome to Did You Do Your Homework, the pop culture podcast combining academic ideas with popular media. I am one of your two co-hosts, Pete Romberg, and uh, today I am currently letting some dough for some cinnamon rolls rise because it is quarantine bake o'clock uh, here in the household. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, uh, Martha Sullivan, YA librarian and um rediscovering yoga enthusiast Ooh, fun yeah i've been on and off the yoga train for a couple of years now and since i don't have to wake up to go like i don't have to wake up early to go to work anymore i have extra time in the mornings mm -hmm. so i've been getting back into a yoga practice I, I'd say I've I've been on and off the yoga train for the past couple of years, but honestly, it's much more off than on. So, <laughs> uh, and I have not yet gotten back into. Um, may I recommend if you ever do decide <clears throat> to uh, rediscover that yoga with Adrian? I believe I, I may have recommended her before on this show, uh, but her videos are generally under or around a half an hour um, and are very accessible to new and inflexible people, which is still me. <laughs> <laughs> um, if I end up getting back on the train, I uh, my instructor at my local studio is the one I'd go back to um, and she's doing online stuff now. Um, oh, nice. But I do know that my wife, Marin has been using the yoga from Adrian uh, videos a couple months ago maybe more recently uh has that name is familiar to me yeah she does a cup she has done some series of like 30 days of yoga so there are practices designed to do once a day every day for 30 days mm -hmm. so again they're generally on the like under thir around 30 minutes or less um, and they build on each other. So the idea is that if you start at square one by square 30, you will be able to be doing more advanced stuff sure. or you will have made kind of definable progress. And definable progress is my main motivation for doing anything physical. <laughs> like I want to see myself get better at the thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, speaking of getting better at the thing, we are going to be talking about uh, isolation this episode, one of the movies, which was your homework, was the 1982 movie, The Thing. Uh, we're also going to be talking about uh, the 2008, uh, 2009 movie, Moon. Before we get into both of those, it's only fair that we tell you what is stuck in our head this week. Um, that's just whatever piece of pop culture we want to sort of be telling you guys about. So, uh, Martha, what is stuck in your head? Oh, well, I actually finished a book yesterday. Ooh, it has um, listeners to my podcast. Will my podcasts, my many podcasts, uh, will know Podcasting that reading has, been, uh, reading has been tough for me um, through all of this. Uh, and I was able to finish a book uh, for the first time. Finish a paper book. I finished a couple audiobooks. 
Um, but this was the first paper book that I've been able to finish since the lockdown started. Um, and that book is Devolution by Max Brooks. Hmm. Um, Max Brooks, we all know, is the guy who wrote World War Z. Uh, he's also Mel Brooks's son. I um, literally just found this out <laughs> right now by looking up Max Brooks. I'm like, oh, yeah. World War Z, zombie survival guy. That's a cool guy. He's Mel Brooks's son? Yes. Um, so Devolution is his uh, next book. It is not a zombie book. It is a Bigfoot book. Mm. Um, I am a big fan of cryptids and Sasquatches and Yetis in general. Uh, so I found the idea of this book thrilling. Um, it is a much slower burn book than I was kind of expecting it to be. It did take about two thirds of the way through the book before things really started ramping up. Um, but by the end, I, I was really, really into it and it ends with a banger. Mm. Um, that book will come out, be available to the general public on May 12th. I got to read it in advance because of special librarian powers. Nice. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was, it was really empowering actually to sit down and finish reading a physical book. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I have been kind of so scatterbrained and unfocused. Um, so yeah, that that felt really good. And this was a good one to start with. It wasn't too long. Um, it's written in that same, it's written as a journal uh, interspersed with like um, interviews and articles. So same kind of concept as World War Z, just about Bigfoot instead of zombies. Hmm. Cool, neat. Um, you, I, I am, uh, upset with you though, that you didn't uh, take the opportunity to say that you are a big fan of Bigfoot. You know, I have no excuse. <laughs> it was right there, hanging right there for you. At some point, I'm going to do my Bigfoot marathon on Hulu and watch Smallfoot, The Missing Link, and Abominable all in the same day. <laughs> uh, nice. Um... Uh, that that would be a big yard marathon. Yes. <laughs> uh, what's Great. stuck in your head, Pete? Um, well, you just finished the book. I'm just starting a book. Um, I picked up N.K. Jemison's The City We Became a couple weeks ago from my local bookstore, which is doing um, curbside pickup. Uh, and I've been putting off reading it because I wanted to get through at least Fellowship of the Ring before I, like, put Lord of the Rings down for a bit and, and picked up something new. Um... And I also knew that as soon as I started reading it, I would probably be sucked in. So I didn't want to start when I only had like, you know, 10, 20 minutes uh, of downtime. Um, that was my Animal Crossing time. So this morning I finally carved out some, like a good hour to, to sit down and start reading it. And I was right. It completely sucked me in. It threw off my entire schedule for the morning because I ended up reading it for longer than I should have. Um, I'm thoroughly enjoying it. It is roughly based on on the back cover blurb and the you know what i've read so far the idea is that certain cities uh when they become old enough and big enough and and whatnot uh become alive um so like paris is alive and and sao paulo is alive and all the rest rome um and this is about new york being born as the first city in uh in america um However, cities are, are fragile, they're vulnerable to outside entities that are trying to uh, eat them, destroy them, what have you. Um, so the uh, the avatar of New York goes missing, and, like right as the city is born, uh, during this crisis moment. And so instead of an avatar of the city, um, instead the, uh, the five boroughs each uh, develop their own avatars who have to come together to try to um, save the city. Um, 
Uh, it reminds me a lot of uh, China Mieville's Kraken, which is a book that I love. And I love that book so much. Like, that book has more cool fantasy ideas per square inch than I thought possible. Uh, and this is giving me the same vibes. Uh, it turns out that a genre that I did not know existed and love is herbs fantasy, uh, which is fantasy about cities as characters. Um, and both this and Kraken sort of feel similar uh, along those lines. It also sounds like it may have some um, Philip Reeve vibes. I haven't read any Reeves, so I can't talk on that. Um, he wrote, what is the name of his book? It, the Mortal Engines books. Oh, okay. So the, the city is getting up and walking around, and sometimes they eat each other. Um, sure, but... London is this like huge, uh, con- like huge monolithic city. They they consume each other so that they can like absorb their resources, and mm-hmm. that's how they keep each other going. Um, this is definitely more like alive in the Kraken sense than alive in the Mortal Engines sense. Uh, when we're okay. talking about like cities becoming alive. Okay. Um. Yeah. Uh, definitely like uh yeah like we- weird fantasy sort of stuff things happening outside the ken of mortal knowledge and whatnot well i am extremely here for anything by nk jemison so i'm in um and apparently this is the first book in a new trilogy she is writing called like the yes. cities trilogy or what have you um she had a, a tweet a bit ago about how it's like I can only write short stories and trilogies, which is good because fantasy as a genre, uh, as a marketing genre, only likes short stories and trilogies. So, yeah. So, like, it's a good thing that she can't write a single book, like, standalone. Um, all right. Well, that is uh, what is stuck in our head. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about isolation, moon, and the thing. Well, welcome back. Uh, today, we are talking about isolation and uh, sort of the um, various responses to isolation and how movies uh, use those responses, those very normal human responses, and um, sometimes dial them up to 11 to uh, create drama, horror, suspense, or what have you. Uh, we've got two movies on our docket. We're talking about the 2009 movie Moon, and we're talking about the 1982 movie The Thing. Uh, We're going to start off with Moon, which was Martha's homework assignment. So, Martha, take it away. All right. So the first thing I'm going to say here is normally we are very cavalier about spoilers on this show. I'm going to give a spoiler warning. Netflix is or Moon is on Netflix right now. I was about to say Netflix is on Hulu, which is (laughs) not correct. (laughs) Not at all what I meant. Um, Moon is on Netflix. If you have not seen this movie pause the podcast right now go spend two hours watching the movie and then come back not even about... it's, an, it's an hour 40 okay i'm about to spoil it and this is a movie that i really i did not know the twist and i think i benefited from knowing that so yeah pause go watch it come back okay we're all back now 
All right. So Moon is about Sam Rockwell, who plays Sam Bell. And let me just sidebar here and say I dislike it when actors play characters that have the same name <laughs> as they do in real life. Um, but anyway, so he works for a company that is mining something on the moon. I wasn't paying close enough attention to determine what that was, but it honestly doesn't matter all that much. Um, he's been on the moon for three years. He's coming to the end of his contract when he gets to go home. Um, he is accompanied by the computer AI Gertie, voiced by Kevin Spacey. We will forgive the movie for this because the movie came out in 2009. Um, and he is in an accident um, in one of his moon rovers. Um, he wakes up in the infirmary. Uh, things start kind of getting weird. Um, he's being sort of very babied by Gertie the computer. He wants to get back out to go check the crash site. He finally does, and when he gets to the crash site, he finds himself. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> um, this is the part that I did not know about this movie. I thought this movie was about Sam Rockwell losing his mind, being alone on the moon, and like hearing voices and hallucinating and stuff. Did not know it was a clone story. The two Sam Bells then join forces to try and get off of the moon. Um, the Sam Bell who was recovered in the accident, I think, um, starts to kind of physically deteriorate very, very badly. Mm -hmm. um, the company that owns the moon has sent a rescue support team to go help him recover, uh, which ends up being the kind of catalytic event that allows healthy clone Sam to escape and get back to Earth and reveal um, the truth that the company has been cloning Sam Bell for 15 years. Um, the original Sam Bell has been back at home with his daughter um, all this time while clones of him just get cycled through um, on three-year uh, arrangements. And, and uh, the the old Sam Bell, uh, the um, the first clone, the one we we meet first, is physically deteriorating because it appears that these clones have sort of like a three year life expectancy before their body just sort of shuts down. Yeah, that was my that was my kind of takeaway is that the the clones are on a three year, uh, yeah by by the end of three years they they recover a, or he recovers a video where he gets to watch like the um discharge sequence where they climb into a pod that is supposedly what's going to take them back to earth and actually i think that it just sort of recycles it's a crematorium organic pod. matter <laughs> yeah it, it flash fries them it's all very <sighs> upsetting <laughs> but yeah so i picked this movie originally because i thought it was about sam rockwell uh kind of spiraling because he's been alone on the moon for so long did not know about the clone thing <laughs> um but i do think that we can talk a little bit about what we see of him in his behaviors like the kind of the routine that he has set up um how he is fighting this feeling because you know whatever um whatever the sci-fi twist on it is, he has been alone in the space station for three years. Like original, the clone that we start off with is two weeks away from 
uh, being discharged. So he, however way you, however way you look at it, he has been alone on this space station for three years, which sounds horrifying, insane. Like I hope original Sam Rockwell got home and like never has to work again because that's how much the company is paying him. <laughs> um. Um, uh, well, yeah. and, and so, like, it's it's interesting because um, original Sam Rockwell, uh, let, let's call them one and two. Um, Sam Rockwell one, it, you know, is is near the end of his time, and Sam Rockwell two is at the beginning of his time. Uh, like, he's about two or three weeks into his service. So, um, there's some interesting scenes where it's like, yeah, I really did like I had anger management issues. This was kind of good for me to be up here and and learn some zen and learn to like control myself a little um there's no real-time communication with earth because the company is is jamming that but there's recorded videos from uh, supposedly his wife um probably videos from the original sam sam's wife um where she like is mentioning that like oh it's actually like i think it's good that you were here to sort of spend time by yourself and you know, cultivate a new a new sense of self, um, which you can see with the just the differences between the two clones. Um, it, like, g- good job acting on Sam Rockwell's part to, to sort of convey both, you know, early and and late stage. Well, and I love the scene. There's a scene where the two of them play ping pong. <laughs> yeah. And Sam Rockwell one like is really good at it. And Sam Rockwell two is not. He's getting impatient with it. He's like, ugh you know, F this, this is, you know, at one point the score is like 19 to two. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And Sam Rockwell one gets to kind of teach him some, like, you know, you got to take your time with it, like slow down. Um, But yeah, I, I hadn't thought of it that way, but that every, every iteration probably goes through the same mood cycle. Mm hmm. Because if, if they're implanting the memories of the original Sam Bell, then he's going to start off angry and impatient and, and looking very much like a like an uptight company military guy. He's got sort of like that crew cut going on and is standing straight and dressed, you know, appropriately and all the rest. And then by the end, sort of a lot of them in the, the video have like shaggy hair and beards and uh, all the rest. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple things I really appreciate about this movie. I think if they didn't hire the same production team as alien they definitely cribbed a lot of notes from them um because the entirety of this base looked like a a well-lit version of the nostromo um even down to things like just uh, the the graphic design for, for various like door labels and whatnot um all very much a nice homage to like the the sci-fi from the 70s and 80s um the other thing i appreciated which is sort of an inversion of that is that uh gertie the robot is entirely helpful the entire movie there's never like it's never an evil robot situation it's never a like uh you know either i'm afraid i can't do that dave or the company has secret instructions for me they're like hey can you help us like what's up with these clones he's like yep you're a clone (laughs) sorry i feel bad sad face so actually walk through this with me because i would say that one of my issues with this movie is that it is kind of devoid of conflict mm-hmm. like all of the all of the conflict is internal to sam like it's him dealing with discovering the truth but like everything he decides to do he does mm-hmm. 
And I don't know if that is a strength of the movie. I don't know. I don't know. Basically, I don't know how I feel about that. So I, in my mind, the conflict in the, in the third act is the ticking clock. As the quote-unquote rescue mission is coming, they realize that the clones realize that if there's, like, if, if they get discovered, like, if they're all there, then they're all just going to get killed. Um, so they have to find some way to get someone back to Earth and um, not be caught with knowing um, what they know. Um, so in that sense, it's a bit of a ticking clock, and it, it, there's the conflict between the two Sams. Um, I just appreciated that, like, Gertie felt positioned to be, like, the third act monster, you know, like, trying to stop them. Um, and that's how he would have been in any other movie. Like, you know, I could see his smiley face icon turning into, like, an angry eyebrow face. Uh, as like you know the the claw arm is going after the sams or whatever and it was really refreshing to to even though you're right it like totally takes the the conflict out it's refreshing that it's like no i'm programmed to help you so i'm going to help you it was definitely because i i definitely spent a lot of the movie expecting um expecting a robot betrayal Mm -hmm. um particularly because you do get a scene where gertie is talking in real time to uh the company reps on earth Mm -hmm. so it's a little bit like oh they're like he's going to betray sam at some point and yeah you're you're right he does he doesn't (laughs) right he even tells him how to prevent him he even tells Sam how to prevent Gertie from like betraying right. him. Right. <laughs> yeah. Which again, I was probably supposed to feel emotions about, but Gertie's voiced by Kevin Spacey, so that was a no go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We we were talking off air. It's like in two thousand nine, that was the perfect casting choice, and in two thousand twenty, that's really hard to get over. At least I didn't have to look at him. Mm-hmm. Didn't have to see him. I and, and speaking of, I love the interface of Gertie because the like the emojis uh, to convey like the robot impression. I think it's really effective. How so? I got a very strong um, workshop robot from Iron Man feeling <laughs> from Gertie's uh, design. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Especially with the little claw arm. Yes. Well, and there's one point where he kind of like awkwardly pats Sam on the <laughs> shoulder. I was like, I don't. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, how do we feel about? Like, I really appreciated seeing Sam's like how he very clearly had like this was his routine, and when he got knocked out of that routine, was kind of when he started having trouble. Like when he was told, no, you can't go check the harvesters. You have to stay in and recuperate. And he's like, but that's what I do. Mm-hmm. I have to like, I have to stick to my routine. Um, that felt very real to me as somebody who still gets up around the same time and takes a shower and goes to work, even though I'm going to work in my spare bedroom. <laughs> um, like having having a routine I have found to be very key to keeping my mental health in these times of our own isolation and Mm -hmm. i really appreciated seeing that uh from sam who's in 
an even more extreme case than we are. Like there, Sam has no one. Sam has a robot friend. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. He he doesn't even have Zoom calls because the company is blocking the the real time communication. Like he has pre recorded videos. He doesn't even have he doesn't even have FaceTime. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um. Yeah. No. I I agree with you about the the importance of the routine. Really like seeing it. I liked. Um, you know, it's like he's talking, he's, he's watering his plants and, and talking to them and making up like fake stories about their relationships. They all have names, they all they have names, have names. and it's like, oh, I think Catherine likes you. It's like, that's adorable. And also you're going insane. <laughs> and yeah, it's really, like I said, it's when his, um, routine gets disrupted that everything kind of goes to heck. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I, th I thought it made him a very relatable he he was very much an everyman character, which I appreciate. Um, like he, even just like he had a lot of things that you could clearly tell were like there to keep him sane. Um, Gertie had a kick me post-it note on the back of his big box. Um, and uh, one of the harvesters, the, the harvesters were named Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, and in the control room, Luke's name was crossed out and replaced with Judas. Because uh, I think that harvester was the one with the most like mechanical trouble, and it's like it's little moments like that where it's like, yeah, I could totally see someone who's like bored by themselves all the time, just fed up with this like harvester, just being like, nope, you're not Luke anymore, you're Judas. Mm -hmm. um, How dare you? <laughs> right, right, giving me all this trouble. Uh, and and like e even more than just the routine, it's like it's that sense of like the lived in space for three years, you know. Um, it, it really sort of hits home with that. Like him, him drawing the smiley face icons uh, next to the toilet for each day that he has been there or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Anything else you want to talk about with Moon before we head on to the thing? Uh, I think that pretty much covers it. Um, I thought, yeah, I thought that all of those things that we just talked about for Sam did a really good job of keeping the movie grounded, even though it's about, you know, clones mining stuff on the moon mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um it did although even that as a concept didn't feel all that out there honestly <laughs> right um the, uh, de definitely a like the technology isn't there yet but if it were here some company would definitely be doing this mm -hmm. yeah um all right cool uh, so I assigned the 1982 John Carpenter movie, The Thing, um, starring uh, Kurt Russell and a bunch of others, including Wilford Grimley and Keith David, um, based on a 1938 John W. Campbell uh, short story, Who Goes There, turned into a, a 50s sci-fi movie called The Thing from Outer Space, uh, or The Thing from Another World, um, and remade in the aughts as like a... I think focusing on the Norwegians, uh, just called the thing. Um, I was gonna say they didn't remake it. It's a prequel. It's a prequel, right? But it's yeah. the same idea. Oh yeah. Yeah. So uh, we're in an uh, in an Arctic um, science station uh, when all of a sudden they are attacked by a shape shifting monster from outer space. Uh, they don't know who to trust because any one of them could be the monster. Um, calamity ensues, and that's that's basically it. Uh, some amazing gory special effects. Um, and a, a rather bleak ending. Uh, but there, this is all happening right as winter is starting to come on in Antarctica. So travel and communication is all very much hampered. Um, so rather than uh one person isolated in somewhere, uh, this is sort of what happens to a group 
that is isolated somewhere, um, especially when an intruder uh, joins the fold. Um, Martha, I know you you had seen the, uh, the prequel mo movie made in the two thousand looks like two thousand eleven, um, but this is your first time seeing this the original nineteen eighty two version. Correct. So I checked out the. Um... The prequel, the the modern one, um, and was fully twenty minutes into it before I realized that it was not uh, this one, <laughs> um, and that was because Tormund from uh, Game of Thrones showed up, and oh. I was like, "Oh, <laughs> this is not the eighties." <laughs> um, Tormund, you look really good for being an eight hundred year old man. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, I. I think that I actually saw them in the ideal order because mm. I enjoyed the prequel because I had nothing to compare it to. Mm -hmm. um, and then when I saw this, I thought it was really cool how you could see, because I, I do think the prequel did a really good job at lining up. Like these are the things from the original that we know took place in this station that we're setting the prequel in. Like they find the, the alien spaceship and, and all that. Yeah. And like, there are there are other places where like someone got burned to death and like mm. the giant mutant that they find like you get to see that kind of happen mm -hmm. um so i thought they lined up really well i i enjoyed this i had never seen it before um but i i mean i knew kind of its whole deal because i exist in pop culture <laughs> right and i i would call this a fairly foundational a horror film it is um, although when it came out it was absolutely panned by critics and was a box office flop um well yeah but that's typically i feel like that is true a lot of the time for horror very true it also came out the same year as blade runner and i think et so like it's in a rough year for like i mean this movie is great but if you're comparing it to those movies as well um also like just good year for sci-fi yeah, so I I wanted to pick I I picked this one because I like the idea of like looking at at groups in isolation. I think that uh, a lot of space movies do this very well, but since Moon was already picked, I wanted one grounded more on Earth. Um, and we spend the first chunk of this movie before we start getting the thing involved, uh, just sort of like looking at how this group of men are like are living together, how each of them are sort of acting individually and as a group. Um you know, getting on each other's nerves, watching the same VHS tape for the 800th time, getting drunk in their cabins, uh, whatever. Um, and you were talking earlier about the importance of routine. This, I, a lot of the, the early part of this movie felt that sort of like lived in routine as well. Um, you know, yelling at Charles to turn the music down felt like something that had been done many times in the past and would have, you know, if this, if the thing hadn't come, would have continued happening many times into the future is just like, you know, you're living with a group of people. Um, <laughs> uh, there's some uh, ability to get away from each other, but not much. Yeah. Um, yeah, where, um, where Sam and Moon is kind of the picture of what isolation does to you as an individual. This is what isolation can do to you in a group mm -hmm. if that's not a contradictory statement mm -hmm. um well i i think a lot of us now who are um you know staying at home either with a significant other or a roommate or what have you 
uh, there is that sense of, and, and, you know, luckily everyone I know is generally happy with whom they're isolating with. Um, but, you know, I know families are, are struggling because it's, you, when, when you can go out and about, you can get away from each other and then come back. And that's like that nice give and take. Um, you can get away from kids for a little bit and then come back. Now it's just constant, like, there's no one else. It's just the people that you're with. Um, so even though it's not, like, total individual isolation, it's still, um, you know, almost claustrophobic in a way. Uh, there's no, like, release valve for, for interpersonal tensions. Well, and this movie does a really good job at getting at that claustrophobia. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not... Um not like it takes place in a cave or anything but it is very cold Mm -hmm. and it is in a very hostile environment that you can't really leave um you have said before to me i don't know if you said it on this podcast that you like to watch this movie in the winter uh either in the winter or in the summer so watching it now in april was a bit of a (laughs) like the the alternate take for me (laughs) um because it is a very cold movie Mm -hmm. um I, I do think, this, just as a side note about horror in general, I think horror is one of those genres that does temperature like that really well. Like, I, I tend to think of horror movies as be in terms of being like, this is a very hot movie or this is a very cold movie. And mm-hmm. this is a very cold movie, even when things are on fire. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think that's because temperature does such a, like, good horror plays with psychology, I think, and temperature absolutely plays into psychology like when it's it's a hot summer day and everyone is dripping sweat and all the rest like you feel that and you know how that like impacts your mood uh and how you would react to events uh and same with this um you (laughs) you can't go outside unless you have to go outside um so now you're stuck inside with these people Mm -hmm. um i also uh picked this because i like it dials the paranoia up a lot because obviously that's the whole shtick of the monster um, but I, I like the idea of when you're with a group of people, you forge a bond in some way, or, or you, you try to, um, and when you can't trust those people that you're with, all of a sudden it, it is, it, it, you know, incredibly detrimental to the tiny society that you have built. Um, even, you know, this obviously is dialed up to 11, but even if you're stuck with a roommate or whatever, and you don't trust them, or you don't like them, that can quickly spiral into a very toxic and, and bad environment. Um, often for both of you. Mm-hmm. I did think it was hilarious that the first time we see Kurt Russell, he puts on sunglasses and swigs out of a bottle of rum. Mm-hmm. I think it is. I, it's whiskey. Like, he's the science bad boy. <laughs> he's the uh, he's the helicopter pilot. So uh, if winter's coming in, I guess all he has to do is drink. Um, there there was a moment where on his desk he had both his bottle of whiskey and a bo- uh, can of Coors open. So, uh, definitely have it, like, like many of us in quarantine, breaking his way through it. You know, we do what we can. <laughs> I was reading that uh, the biggest trend in drinking in 2019 was drinking less, and the biggest trend so far in 2020 is airport rules apply, so yeah, you can start <laughs> drinking at nine. <laughs> I have also heard of our days in terms of coffee time and whiskey time, mm-hmm. yep. or wine time or beer time, you yep. know. Which, I mean, it, it makes sense when you have to um, differentiate, if you're working from home, differentiate what it means to be working and what it means to be off the clock. Um, in in the thing, at least, it, it does appear that they have different rooms. You know, there's the science station and the 
radio station or whatever, but then there's the common room and the, uh, like, the kitchen and the, the rec room. So there is that sense of being able to create that physical separation between when you're on the clock and when you're off the clock. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything else for the thing? I, I know this was a little more cursory, but it, I feel like there's not quite as much to talk about it because it's it's very straightforward horror movie action movie. Um, yeah, like it's... <sighs> So I'm not overly familiar with John, the works of John Carpenter. Mm-hmm. Um, is he a horror as allegory person? Like, is there more to this movie other than what hath science wrought? I am also not the most familiar with him. I know he did obviously Halloween. Um, this uh, Escape from New York. Um, and those, those are all great movies, uh, with great soundtracks. He's a very good soundtrack composer, uh, slash musician. Uh, and then he has a slew of really awful movies in the 90s. Um, Ghosts of Mars, John Carpenter's Vampires, uh, which are just schlocky death fests. Um, so I'm, I'm gonna go with he's not a big allegory guy. Um, but that's just sort of me reading into it as, as someone who, again, isn't the biggest follower of him. Mm-hmm. Um, I I know that when when this came out, it was like lambasted for having a very nihilistic tone, and I think that I can absolutely see that, especially from like an early '80s standpoint. That like the end of this movie is rather bleak, and I could see that being nihilistic. But also coming from a viewing now, I'm like, it's not that nihilistic. It's just that you know, it, it's an ending where everyone probably dies. But hey, they stopped the aliens, so that's that's an upbeat ending. Mm-hmm. Um, which is just an interesting way of how culture has shifted about what makes something uh, <laughs> like nihilistic and what makes something merely bleak. It does. It does feel like the setting of this movie contributes to that feeling very strongly. Mm-hmm. A lot of a lot of smooth white landscapes. Mm-hmm. Oh, quick sidebar. I knew it was coming, but it was still very deeply upsetting to watch that dog's face split open. Yeah, yeah. Did not care for that. Uh, what do you think of the effects? I will always be. I will always champion practical effects. Yeah, I thought they ruled. Yeah, like they um, they still hold I, up. That I do think was one of the failings of the um, the newer version. Is there's a lot more. Uh, computer generated mm-hmm. effects in that one and it just it's not as it's not as effective it's not as good yeah 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 all right well anything else for the thing um any other john carpenter i should watch um escape from new york is fun oh uh, i've seen that okay that's nick Pliskin, right yeah yeah i thought you were dead <laughs> i mean also kurt russell um true <laughs> Uh, I guess I, I guess I associate John Carpenter so heavily with horror, right? That I didn't think about that one, right? Um, he did the new, like he he also did Big Trouble in Little China, also with Kurt Russell. Oh, and I haven't seen that. Uh, yeah, I I'd recommend that one. Um, like his big horror masterpieces are like Halloween and The Fog and this, uh, and They Live. Um, and then he did the new. He, I think, produced the new Halloween or wrote it. He had some involvement with it. 
That one showed up. I think that one's streaming somewhere now. I that's one that I never got around to seeing, but would like to. All right. Thank you all so much for listening. I hope you had a good time. Uh, you can follow us on at, on Twitter at dydyh podcast and on Facebook at Did You Do Your Homework? Just search for that on Facebook. Uh, but also maybe cancel your Facebook, you know. Uh, and you can email us at show at homeworkpodcast.com. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and anywhere else fine podcasts are found. You already know that because you're listening to this, but you should tell your friends, get them listening to this, and please rate and review. Um, Martha, anything you want to yes. plug? Where should people be following you? Um, everybody can follow me all the time on all the places at Magical Martha. Um, I do another podcast that updates on the same feed on Alternating Wednesdays called Love Ya, where me and Pete's wife, Marin watch a streaming teen rom-com or it, we've widened our pool to really just movies with teens in them. <laughs> um, and then we break them down for you and tell you if you should bother watching them or not. Um, I also write a newsletter, supposedly, sounds like fake news, um, called Martha's Media Minutes, which you can find at tinyletter.com backslash Magical Martha. Um, I think that's all for me. Cool. You can follow me on Twitter at Pico3000, P-I-K-O-3000, where I'm talking politics and pop culture, and then whatever sparks of joy I'm able to uh, dredge up and, and send out as well. Next episode, Martha, what are we talking about? Uh, we are going to be talking about um, underdog sports stories. <laughs> um, we are pivoting a little bit from talking about really horribly depressing things uh, to some stuff that makes us happy. Um, and nothing makes me happier than a good inspirational sports scene. <laughs> this, me. Uh, this was a bit of a, a, a trap for me because I suggested it not knowing that it's one of Martha's favorite genres of things. Remember the Titans is one of my favorite movies of all time. Oh, that's such a good movie. Yes, it yeah, is. Yeah, baby Ryan Gosling. <laughs> baby everybody. Yeah, true. Um, um, but we will not be watching that. Um, instead, I have picked the, from some date, 2004. the 2004 movie Miracle, uh, which is a hockey movie, which is good because I do kind of miss hockey right now very badly. Cool. Uh, it also continues our Kurt Russell trend. <laughs> he is everywhere. <laughs> uh, and I am picking the 2011 movie Moneyball, which is not just about, um, athletes who are underdogs but entire ideas of baseball that at the time were underdogs and now are uh the dominant theory of baseball uh so yeah we will see you in a couple of weeks yeah. um i just sniped pete's hosting duties. i i noticed that notice. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah stay safe everybody enjoy doing your homework we will see you in a couple weeks and uh yeah class dismissed class dismissed Were you about to drop a love you on accident there? I...
I think you have me on record multiple times saying, oh, I straight almost either <laughs> introed or outroed for the wrong podcast. Um, I, I think it was the last Love Ya that you just absolutely introed as, the, like, you started doing a DYDYH intro, and then we're like, wait, hold on, that's not the episode. <laughs> that's not the show. That's, that's correct, yes. 